Thank you. So the foundation of union with Christ is Christ's union with us. But what does that mean? Well, the first thing we can say is that it was God's plan to unite us to the Lord Jesus Christ in a saving relationship. And we can even say Christ had to unite himself to us, body and soul, in order to do that. So why was this the case? Of course, as people like Warfield and Hodge have said, God could have chosen any number of ways to save us, but why did he choose this way? Christ uniting himself to us to save us. I think here we get to the heart of the matter, which is most marvellous, and the heart of the matter about this question is the following, that being created in God's image, man had a certain calling. Human beings had a certain calling. Now, the true image of God, according to the New Testament, is not Adam, but it's the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the true image of God. So when Adam was made, Adam was made in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 4.24 says that this was in righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3.10 says it was in truth too. So Adam was made in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ in righteousness and holiness and love of the truth. And so because Adam was in Christ's image, Christ had to take on Adam's humanity in order to save that humanity. And he did this according to God's plan. Now, to dig into this a bit further, we can say that spiritually, Adam, human beings, when they were created, had the DNA of the Lord Jesus Christ incarnate. The spiritual DNA of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is righteousness, holiness and truth and so when Jesus came he took on Adam's human nature in order to reprieve and renew it and to make it new according to how it should be so the Lord Jesus Christ took on our human nature to make this human nature new again, 
to give us new life. And this is what the New Testament means when it speaks about new creation in Christ. It's Christ introducing that new humanity which had disappeared through our sin and disobedience. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ did this in three ways. First of all, in the Incarnation, he took on our body and our souls. He took on human nature in the Incarnation. And he lived and died for us to make that human nature perfect. So he united himself to us and having redeemed us, he unites us to him spiritually by faith. So here, union with Christ is us getting the renewed DNA spiritually which comes from the Lord Jesus. Hmm? So in his incarnation he united himself to us and then he unites us to himself spiritually by faith. And there'll be a final step to this and that is glorification. That is when we're delivered from the final effects of the fall by being raised with him uh, eternally in the awaited creation. Uh, Perkins, one of the great uh, early English Puritans, said that there are three steps in Christ's union with regard to us. There's the fleshly step, Christ unites himself to us naturally. Then there's the spiritual step, Christ unites us to himself by grace. And then finally there's the transformational step in which he unites himself to us in glory in the resurrection of the body. So that's basically the theme we're looking at uh, this afternoon, how Christ united himself to us. Then, later, we'll look at how we're united to the Lord Jesus, by new birth, by justification, by sanctification and glorification, which flow from Christ uniting himself to us. Now, to describe this a little more fully, <coughs> Uh, we've got to speak a little in introduction about holiness and righteousness to understand what the Bible means by those. <laughs> then we'll look at Christ uniting himself with us. Third point will be Christ living a holy life. And then the fourth point will be Jesus' understanding, what Jesus understood about what he was doing. And then finally, if we have time in conclusion, we'll just end up with a promise with regard to us. So, to describe this movement of God 
to us in Jesus Christ to take on our humanity. This is done because of the reality of holiness and righteousness. Now, Scripture says only God is holy. Isaiah 6 says that, and uh, as God, Jesus himself dwells in unapproachable light. This describes God's holiness, <coughs> the holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 6, 16. And when God, who is holy, made creation, God made all things to be a holy dwelling place for himself with man. And that's why the tree of life was planted in the garden to express that man lived with God in holiness. And Adam was created holy, righteous, or just, and in truth. But uh, when Adam rebelled, when men rebelled, having been created holy, they lost holiness once and for all. And everyone lost holiness with Adam. And the only way to enter into a holy relationship with God is through righteousness, that is, justice. So how can justice be fulfilled by man in order for him, her, to attain holiness with God? Because we can't enter God's presence unless holiness is restored. And we know that the New Testament says that uh, uh, no one can enter God's presence without being holy and therefore be holy as I am holy hmm? and that's the exhortation but you see the way of demonstrating that holiness is through justice it's through righteousness or right actions and none of us can do what is right and good and just and true well, we all fall short of this mark. So there's no way for human beings to attain holiness through becoming right or becoming just or becoming good. We can't increase in goodness to get into God's presence and uh, have that holiness once again. But the thing is, when the Lord Jesus Christ came, taking our humanity he took our human nature on himself in order to fulfill all righteousness or justice so christ is the one who through his justice and righteousness re-establishes holiness before god and opens the door for us being united to him to follow him into uh, God's presence now just use your imagination 
for a minute. Uh, a piece of black cloth which is held taut, you have a sharp needle and the sharp needle goes through the black cloth and comes out the other side. That is the Lord Jesus in his incarnation. He enters into this fallen world. And then on the other side, you push the needle back through again with a thread on it. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ in his resurrection. And he raises us to newness of life by his resurrection. And he takes us with him as our representative into God's holy presence in heaven, uh, awaiting the new creation. So uh, the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled all justice that was necessary to re-enter into God's holiness he united himself to us in order to unite us to him and make us holy in and through him uh, when he entered into God's presence. So that's the importance of holiness and righteousness. And this is precisely the reason why uh, we as Protestants put justification before sanctification because we believe that you can't get to justification and righteousness by being sanctified more and more and we'll come back to this later but we think that we have to be justified before we can be sanctified and that justification comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. So the only way of getting to holiness is through righteousness. That righteousness we don't have, but that righteousness Christ made for us uh, on our behalf when he took our human nature upon himself and became a human being. So that's holiness and righteousness. Now, the second point is Christ unites himself to us. This is the incarnation. Christ taking on himself human flesh. And we'll look at a few verses in uh, the Gospel of Luke and see what Luke says about this. And you'll see that... Uh, uh, Luke has this idea that I've been trying to put across uh, in what he says about the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, about him taking human flesh. So, first of all, the reason for Jesus is coming. Luke 1, verse 77. Hmm? Uh, the Lord will prepare his ways, that is, the coming of the Most High, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Hmm? So he will come to save his people from their sins, that is, by the establishment of his righteousness 
of his sinlessness. Luke 1, 35 says the following, uh, 35, the angel answered Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow, therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. So Jesus is the Saviour because he's the sanctifier, because he is holy. He is set apart as the Holy One of God with this mission to save his people from their sins. Jesus was born in a holy way, his holy birth. Luke 2, 52. We'll read that text. Verse 52, it's at the end of uh, Luke 2. Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favour with God and man. Jesus was born in a holy way, and through his birth he creates a new humanity, uh, one that's holy, that grows in wisdom, stature, and in favour with God. So when he united himself to us, Jesus took on our nature in order to establish righteousness through his holiness. And the third point is, Jesus in fact lived a holy life. Jesus speaks about his own sanctification in John chapter 10, verse 36. Jesus said, says to the Pharisees, uh, what do you say of him who the Father consecrated and sent into the world? The Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to fulfill consecration or holiness uh, before God. That is uh, the consecration of the altar and the priests. Jesus came to fulfill that holiness. Now we'll look in detail at Hebrews chapter 2, which comments Psalm 40, uh, <coughs> verses 6 to 8. Hebrews chapter 2 is uh, a comment on Psalm 40, 6 to 8. And I'll just read this through quickly because it shows uh, most clearly how Christ, through his righteous life, was raised to perfection. And the Bible doesn't speak about Jesus being perfect. It speaks about Jesus conquering perfection or being raised to perfection through his holy way of living, through his righteous way of living. So Hebrews 2 verse 10 and following says the following, For it was fitting that he, for whom 
and by whom all things exist. Now, who is the writer speaking about here? Who is the he? It was fitting that he who for whom and by whom all things exist. Well, it's on obviously, when we read it carefully, it's speaking about God the Father, by whom and through whom all things exist. In bringing many sons to glory, he, God the Father, should make the foundation, sorry, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So in order to bring many sons to glory, God sent his son as the one who would be the founder of their salvation and he was made perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. He who sanctifies, the Lord Jesus Christ, and those who are sanctified, believers, all have one origin. God the Father who sent his Son as our representative who by being made perfect through suffering achieved holiness for us. That is why he, the Lord Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will tell your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise, and again I will put my trust in him, and again Behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share, verse 14, in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So this describes very well uh, what uh, living a holy life meant for Jesus. He came as our representative to establish holiness before God and to bring many sons to glory. He was made sin for us. And that's why it's so important that Jesus knew no sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Jesus knew temptation, but not sin. Uh, he who knew no sin, uh, God made him sin on our behalf, so that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Without this sinless life, there can be no holiness no way into God's presence. But the Lord Jesus Christ did it. And because he established a sinless life, he was able to die on the cross with our sins. You see, no human being can die for another because we're all sinners and none of us can relieve the sin of another human being. We all bear our own sins. 
So someone who was sinless was needed to establish righteousness and therefore die for our sins, not for his own. The Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins and because of that he removed our sins uh, and established our salvation in holiness before God. And everything we receive as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, has been accomplished by the Lord Jesus himself uh, on our behalf. This means that without his sinless life, Jesus could not have died effectively for our sins. But he was sinless and dying, he abolished our sin. He didn't suffer for his because he was holy, but he suffered for ours in our place, on our behalf uh, and for us. So Jesus lived a holy life and this was necessary to uh, the accomplishment of our salvation. After Adam, Jesus is the only one who lived a holy life. <coughs> We all are called to live a holy life, but being children of the fall of a fallen Adam, none of us can live a holy life. And therefore, the Lord Jesus Christ intervenes to establish righteousness and holiness uh, for us. Well, we'll come back to that theme a bit later, uh, not this time, but when we speak about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ's death and his active and passive obedience. Uh, his passive obedience was when he suffered and died on the cross for our sin, but his active obedience is fulfilling the law perfectly. And we're saved as much by his active obedience, his perfection, as we are by his passive obedience, uh, his death on the cross. So Jesus uh, unites himself to us with this goal of living a holy life. And this fourth point was Jesus' self-understanding. This is how Jesus saw himself and his own uh, work, his own ministry. And the best passage for uh, seeing this described in scripture is the Gospel of John, chapter 17. And we'll just look at that for a few minutes. Uh, the plan of John 17, which is Jesus' prayer uh, uh, in Gethsemane uh, on the night before he was crucified, uh, the plan of John 17 has three parts. First of all, it concerns Jesus himself, then it concerns his disciples, and then it concerns us. And we've got to read these three parts uh, as separate entities, because what Christ prayed for himself, he prayed only for himself. What Christ prayed for his disciples, he prayed for his disciples alone. 
what he prays for us, he prays for us uh, in our particular position, that is, as believers in Christ to the end of the world. Now, verses 1 to 5 uh, describe what Jesus understands that he has come accomplished or done uh, through his life and what he's going to do through his death. And Jesus says, verses 1 to 5, uh, Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, and give eternal life to all you have given to him. But uh, Jesus uh, also says, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. I have glorified you on earth, having finished the work that you gave me to do. So, Jesus can pray uh, to the Father because he's finished the work that the Father gave him to do. He's uh, accomplished uh, all righteousness. And now he says that he can give eternal life to all you have given him. Hmm? So Christ dies for us in order to give us eternal life. Uh, this is the mission or the uh, work that Jesus had received from the Father. And he finished it. He accomplished all righteousness. Now, verses 6 to 19, Jesus' special prayer for the disciples. Uh, Jesus sanctifies himself to become a sacrifice for sin. Listen to verse 19. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in the truth. So Jesus sanctifies himself to become a sacrifice for sin according to the truth. Now the uh, passage of scripture uh, from then on uh, speak about the disciples being kept from the world. Uh, verse 15 I do not this is his disciples I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. And then going on uh, Jesus prays for us I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that is the word of the apostles, that they may be one as you are one. Father, are in me and I in you, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Hmm? Sanctify them uh, by your truth. So here we see Jesus' self-understanding of uh, what he's accomplished. He'd accomplished the work of the Father in establishing righteousness. He sanctifies himself to become sacrifice of sin. Uh, he has worked to keep his disciples from the world and from Satan. 
and they are sent out into the world with his authority. And that authority means that through their ministry, we are sanctified by the truth which they make known about the Lord Jesus Christ. So this truth makes possible for us uh, a relationship with Jesus' person and work through uh, the, the apostolic ministry. So in this passage we see Jesus uh, in his understanding uh, of his own work, which is a priestly work, a dying to sin. It's a kingly work, keeping his disciples from the power of the adversary. And it's a prophetic work according to the truth. And so Jesus is the mediator between God and man. Uh, the man Christ Jesus is the one mediator between God and man in these offices. And that is the self-understanding of Jesus about his own work that he's accomplished and what he has done uh, on our behalf. But we still have a few minutes left and we reach the fifth point this afternoon after holiness and righteousness Christ uniting himself with us Christ living a holy life for us Jesus is self-understanding and uh, this all in conclusion fifth and final point uh, is a terrific promise for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus, uh, in coming, in living and dying, has united himself to us spiritually in the truth. He's united himself to us, to our humanity, spiritually in bringing and establishing uh, the truth uh, of salvation through grace and the establishment of holiness uh, through grace. Uh, Jesus himself says, he who has the Son has life. And he will send his Spirit to bring new life. That we'll see uh, next time uh, we meet. Uh, and Jesus, when he sends his spirit, keeps us in the truth by his word and spirit and keeps us in love by his word and spirit. So, by consecrating himself for us and uniting himself to us, Jesus uh, keeps us uh, as his people. And so, in Christ, we become holy because he unites himself to us. His work uh, becomes ours as we believe in him, because he stood as our representative for us. So, uh, Jesus united himself uh, to us. He remained the Son of God, he was God, 
when he took on human flesh and as such that means his salvation is a divine salvation Jesus took on our humanity and taking on humanity that means that the salvation Jesus accomplishes is appropriate for our needs what are our needs our needs are righteousness before God and holiness to be able to enter into his presence in his humanity Jesus established righteousness for us by perfect obedience and by his death on the cross he delivered us from death by dying in our place so the Lord Jesus uh, saved us as human beings from our sin from our unrighteousness and our unholiness and this he accomplished uh, for us so when we lay hold on the Lord Jesus Christ by faith when we believe in him for our salvation we know that that salvation is sure and solid a certainty because of what the Lord Jesus has accomplished it's not uh, uh, the measure of our faith that's the measure of our salvation uh, the measure of our salvation is what Christ has done for us it's what he has accomplished for us as our mediator and representative as God this is divine salvation as man this is totally appropriate for what we need and there is nothing to add unto it because the Lord Jesus is the one mediator between God and man so we are united to Christ because Christ united himself to us he took on our humanity to die for us and represent us and deliver us from the slavery we were in well that's pretty rapid and there's a lot of complex issues involved here um, any questions about this now yeah what's the difference between holiness and sanctification holiness belongs to God alone it's what, God's what it? it's, it? it's God's difference from us the holy place in Israel is the temple and inside the temple the Holy of Holies and only the priest can go in there no human person can go into the presence of God because God's holiness uh, belongs to God alone eh? and so sanctification is not something uh, which we have in and of ourselves it comes through God giving us uh, his holiness through the Lord Jesus Christ uh, uh, only God is holy but we are made holy uh, through the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ who uh, established righteousness for us so as human beings uh, our holiness is never complete hmm? uh, 
because on the one hand we are made holy in Christ, that's in him, but in ourselves we are progressing in holiness towards uh, that goal. So um, uh, while we're still alive and sinners we never attain full sanctification. But we can be called saints because we are in Christ by faith and holiness is in him. So holiness is uh, what belongs to God alone. Holiness is what is given to us uh, through sanctification in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? It's not anything that... to do with being separate, sanctification being separate. That is a world. consequence of sanctification. Right. Hmm? Uh, when God says, be holy for I am holy, he's hmm. saying, uh, be separate and distinct as I am separate and distinct. I think that's what that means. Yeah? You mentioned that Jesus um, took on a human soul in the incarnation. Yeah. I was wondering if you'd be willing to explain the distinction between soul and spirit and why it was important for Jesus. Soul and spirit, to my way of thinking, are uh, more or less synonymous in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus can use them uh, in uh, as synonyms. Hmm? Uh, for for example, Jesus can say, "My soul is weary to death," but he can also speak about his spirit in the same kind of way. So, I don't basically see any difference between soul and spirit. Um, soul uh, refers to. Uh, the fact that uh, we are living beings, uh, but our living nature has a spiritual aspect, uh, as we are living beings, uh, in relation to God. Hmm? So uh, man is different from the animals because the animals are called souls as well, in that they have life. They're Suke Haya uh, in the Hebrew, and uh, men have souls uh, as well, but different from the animals, men's souls have a spiritual dimension because our life is oriented uh, towards God. So uh, our soul is our spiritual reality with respect to this world around us, our spirit is our spiritual reality with regard to uh, God who is above us. Hmm? Mm -hmm. So that's the way I understand the difference or the complementarity between soul uh, and spirit. They aren't fundamentally different things, they're describing different aspects of man's life, mm -hmm. of the life of human beings. Huh? Mm -hmm. uh, we have a soul uh, in that we're living um, on this earth and we can die and when a ship goes down we talk about so many souls being lost mm -hmm. huh? that's human lives that have been lost mm -hmm. but spirit expresses our relationship to God okay. hmm? I don't see man as having three parts that you can separate out body soul which is the mind and spirit, which is the heart or uh, something spiritual. It, it, it's not parts of man, 
it's uh, the human being, it's aspects of man's functioning or living. Mm -hmm. huh? Okay. Is that clear enough? Yeah, so Jesus would have had to have taken on a human soul to be fully human. Yeah. yeah, and of course that was a big debate uh, for the church fathers. Uh, uh, that's the debate about Nestorianism, uh, because Nestorius uh, claimed that Jesus didn't have a human soul, and that uh, it was uh, the spirit which took the place of the human soul in Jesus. And of course, uh, the uh, Orthodox Church Fathers uh, argued against Nestorius that that wasn't sufficient because if, um, to use the expression of one of the Church Fathers, what is not assumed cannot be saved. Uh, and if Jesus didn't assume a human soul uh, completely, then he couldn't save the human soul completely. Mm -hmm. hmm? Yeah? So at the beginning of that answer, you mentioned in the New Testament, we saw, and from what I gather, the union with Christ is a New Testament doctrine. Yeah. So how do we reconcile that with Old Testament saints <coughs> who are also saved through the work of Christ? Yes, they were saved by faith in the promise to come. But they didn't experience this no. union the same way. No, and um, I think we can understand that by reference to the verse in John where it says um, that the Spirit was not yet given because, John, uh, be, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Huh? It's only when Jesus is glorified, raised from the dead, and with the coming of the Holy Spirit that we have a fuller understanding of uh, the nature of the promise and the meaning of resurrection and uh, of life and death. Hmm? Um, and that's consistent with what Scripture itself says, you know. It, it talks about the Old Testament being shadows of the good things to come and being types that were fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, David was saved as much as the Apostle Paul was, but David was saved by faith in the promise of the coming Messiah, whereas uh, Paul was saved by faith in the promise of the having come Messiah and the coming again Messiah. So um, it's a difference of content, but it's not a difference of disposition of the heart, because the same trust that inhabited David inhabited the Apostle Paul. Only after Christ's coming, we have a lot more information, a lot more things that have, have been revealed to us, because Christ has finished his work. Is that okay? Yeah, I'm sure it'll keep as we do the next few sessions mm -hmm. the distinctions. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, I won't see you next week because I'll be in Paris next week. <laughs> and not on a holiday either. So um, I'll see you the week after, God willing. So um Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I was just going to ask, you mentioned that you